Hello, Internet. It's Tori. You're listening to the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. For updates on when episodes go live, follow us on Twitter and Facebook. To join the discussion, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash CosmereCast, where you'll find an invitation to our Discord server. Thank you for listening, and please enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Mike. Joining me this week are Craig. Hello. Dave. What's up? And Tori. Hello, Internet. And we start every week with good things. So, Craig, what's what's your good thing this week? My good thing is the Crypt of the Necrodancer music soundtrack, which I probably picked before, but it's just so good, guys. The music is so good. Can confirm. So it's really, good. really good. Definitely one of the best game soundtracks in existence. So shout out to them. It. The game's good, too. I do recommend playing it. But I just I was listening to the music because it was on um, speed gaming uh, games done quick is doing a special event for the Corona relief fund. So, yeah, and I'm like, oh, man, Neck Dancer, that music's good. So it's good. Compare and contrast Crypt of the Necrodancer's music to Cadence of Hyrule's music. Uh, I probably like Crypt of the Necrodancer better, uh, but they do some neat um, remixes with the Cadence of Hyrule. So if you really enjoy classic Zelda songs, then Cadence of Hyrule definitely is up there. All right. But I just I just grew to the Crypto Necrodancer, which is good because when you're playing a rhythm game, you really want to get into it. But there's a couple good Cadence of Hyrule songs that I also get into, which is fun. I like the Link's Awakening one. Yeah, that's probably my favorite. All right. Uh, Dave, what is your good thing this week? My good thing this week is the Ricky Gervais show. It was, I think, originally just a podcast with Ricky Gervais, Stephen Merchant, and Carl Pilkington just sitting around talking. But then later on, they went and animated the conversations they were having. And uh, the format is actually quite similar to ours. I'm Carl Pilkington. I just say random nonsense. And then you've got Craig and Tori. They're Stephen Merchant. Uh, they, you know, throw in insight here and there and some witty remarks. And then Mike is obviously Ricky Gervais, who just makes fun of my stupidity all the time. <laughs> yeah, that tracks. Yeah, really funny. Uh, the animations that go along with it are really clever. And yeah, just they just talk and cover a wide variety of subjects in a humorous manner. All right. Um, my good thing this week is something that I posted to our Good Things channel last night that I assume all of you have watched all of, which is which is a wrestling match between Pac and Orange Cassidy. Uh, it took place during an AEW pay-per-view revolution, which happened last month, I think. Um, and I found a YouTube of just that match, and it's fantastic. Um... I don't really want to describe it because there's a lot of like physical humor that goes into it that doesn't translate well into talking about it. But yeah, give it a watch. It's great. Uh, so, Tori, what's yours? SC7 again. I'm sorry. I haven't done anything <laughs> else with my life all week. <laughs> it's, yeah, uh, I gotta okay. get that game. Yeah, I've, I've put so many hours into it. It's... It's fun and it's pretty, but um, no, I'll give you something else. Uh, I started online D&D last week. Um, me and some friends were using Roll20 and uh, my my good friend Dave, the other Dave, not this Dave, is uh, he's our DM. Your and good he's friend, a, Dave. Yeah, you're, you're just my internet friend, Dave. We've never actually met. Uh, <laughs> so, um, but the other Dave, he's a great DM. He's uh, probably the best DM I know. And um can yeah. confirm um, in, in college he was the best dm right well he's only gotten better over the years um and uh even though we are playing with two of my other good friends who decided that they were both playing bards and we have no <laughs> tanks in the party that it sounds was still insufferable fun. they can cast bark skin right now, maybe not so <laughs> we got in a fight last week with some level one goblins and uh what they, uh, so one of them casts Bane and um, says, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to viciously mock this goblin. And uh, I don't remember what happened, but it, he uh, he missed a save and had to take psychic damage. And uh, e even though it was only one D4 of psychic damage, uh, we had done enough damage that he died of it. So it's like we mocked him to death. <laughs> and 
So so that was dumb. And that's my good thing. All right. Uh, so, Dave, mm. I believe you read some chapters this week. Okay. Uh, are you talking about chapters 47 through 51 of Way of Kings by Brandon Sanderson? That's what I read, so a I book, hope so. A book loved by Patrick Rothfuss. Hey, is Sanderson that New York Times bestselling guy? Uh, Sunday Times bestselling author, according to this cover. This is the British version. Uh, it's also highly recommended by Robin Hobb. It's a great epic fantasy, satisfying and fulfilling in every way, says San Francisco Review, I guess that it means. And uh, it's epic in every sense, says The Guardian. Here's SF Review. Review. Probably the- science fiction. I honestly don't know. But it's not italicized, so I think it's actually someone's name, SF Review. Review. Maybe he's Indian. Let me do a quick Google search. Or maybe it's San Francisco Review. But no, uh, it is it is literally just SF Reviews, Science Fiction and Fantasy Book Reviews. R-E-V-U. No. Then it's something different. Anyway, he liked it. Um, chapter, or, or she, I don't know, it's just initials. Alright, chapter 47, Storm Blessings. One year ago, Tien is dead. Maybe Kaladin will be able to protect Sen. I didn't realize Bedlam was a common noun. Silfrena glues Kaladin's wallet to his belt, thinking had proven dangerous lately. Next scene. I wish I had my own little windspring to cool me off when I got sweaty. Kaladin kills a light eyes. Unexpectedly, a shard bearer shows up. Who saw that coming? Kaladin is running the wrong way. Whirlwind attack. Spirit in this guy. Kaladin kills the wrong light eyes, which actually I understand after thinking about it, but okay. So this is uh, the same as the chapter one scene with Sen, only this is from Kaladin's perspective. And uh, Kaladin is bribing another another one of the squad leaders so that he can transfer Sen. It's also uh, bribing the medic, like the medics, so that they'll treat his not not before the light eyes, of course, but treat uh, Kaladin's men before anybody else. And then there was a bit. Okay, so I didn't actually realize Bedlam was a common noun, so I looked it up. Uh, Bedlam, you know, obviously they refer to the asylum from back in England. Even Dickens refers to it. But uh, apparently, uh, Bedlam is an early form of the word Bethlehem, and the asylum was named after St. Mary of Bethlehem. But they used to pronounce it Bedlam because they say things weird in England. I didn't know the etymology of that. Yeah, fun fact. Interesting. All right. So there's a mysterious windspring who glues Kaladin's wallet to his belt, or like he's got his pouch of spheres and he's having trouble getting it untied because some mischievous windspring tied it really tight on him and probably Solfrena. So yeah, she was there uh, all that time, most likely. And then he's thinking, and then we got a battle. And okay, so we leave all, uh, get back. We get back to the part where how uh, they set, or rather, Who's Set? It's a guy from Sen. Sen. Who is Set though? Set was the guy from. Maybe I'm thinking of. Oh, I'm thinking of Sezeth. Ashweather Set. Ashweather. All right, and uh, yeah, so we get to the back to the part where Kaladin rendezvous with his spearmen, and uh, then that's when the shard bearer shows up, and Kaladin goes and we have a pretty cool scene where like. He goes and tries to hit him with the spear, and then the shard bearer chops the top off of his spear, and then Kaladin tries to jam a dagger into his visor, and like it tinks off of something. And then he grabs the spear head and like six inches of haft that are left over, and he grabs that in midair and jams it into his eye, and he kills the kills the shard bearer, but he. Uh, declines ownership of the shard. He wants. He doesn't want to be a light eyes. He wants nothing to do with it. The, he he doesn't like the memory of seeing the sword that uh, so uh, listlessly chopped it down. His, his loved ones. So he turns it down. And yeah. Uh, and I'm recalling later on when Kaladin says that he killed the wrong light eyes. But I know who the right light eyes is, and we'll find out in chapter fifty one. Oh, spoilers. Uh, so the the spear through the eye bit is the sort of scene that, if played at normal speed, would take about a second. Uh, but 
if done properly, would be like slow mode and different camera angles and tons of cuts and would take or like two if, minutes. Or if done with anime. It would take or if three done hours. With anime. Or if it's it done be... as Dragon Ball Z, then it would take 20 episodes to do five minutes of <laughs> well, blowing up the planet. Or Let's Space Jam. Remember like in Space Jam where the last five seconds of the game took like 10 minutes? No, because it's been a long time since I've seen Space Jam, but I believe you. So tell me about chapter whatever one is next. 48. Chapter 48. Strawberry. Hey, 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 Dave, real quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You remember that fruit truck that used to go around our neighborhood when fruit we were truck? kids? Are you talking about the water ice truck? No, there was a fruit truck and he would proclaim all the different fruits that he had for sale. And he would go strawberries. We didn't grow up in the same neighborhood. We were close. You didn't have that? No, nah, he didn't come my way. I had Mr. Softy, though. Yeah, we had the water ice and the... Rose's water ice. We drove around in the little yellow car. And yeah. soft pretzels. <laughs> Dude, and you used, always, used to always go up to the wreck and, like, get all the kids playing baseball. I I paid that guy one time in, like, all coins. Because, like, that's all I had. I had, like, dimes and nickels. And I'm like, here you go. I want a water ice. I think I put his kids through college. Wait, these guys, I don't think, know what water ice is. It's uh, also called, I guess, Italian ice. Does that help? It's water ice. Oh, it's like a frozen juice thing. It's little chunks of very tiny. I don't know what water ice is. Ground ice that's flavored with fruit juice. I understand them not knowing what pork roll is, but water ice? Come on. A lot of people don't know what water ice is. But it's water ice. It's a little different. I think we have what you're talking about. We just don't call it that here. Yep, exactly. I think you you have a weird name for a snow cone. We also have a weird name for a club for a submarine sandwich. Hoagie? Yeah. It's so much easier to say, though. (laughs) All right. So anyway. Chapter 48. 48. Uh, So chapter 48, this guy drives around in a truck giving out strawberries. (laughs) Wait, you got me mixed up. It's called Strawberry. Shalon is suspected of attempted suicide. Shalon is growing accustomed to the booze. King Guy. Shalon visits. I think that's supposed to be Yasna visits. <laughs> Yasna visits. Book of Endless Pages. Strawberries are even rarer than chickens. And that's kind of weird because, like, because it says he get them, gets them from Shinovar, and they're like, oh, all kinds of plants grow in Shinovar that don't grow here, but they sound commonplace to us. So I wonder if Shinovar is actually sheltered from the high storms. That's why they seem so normal to us. Uh, I think it's pretty obvious what's going on here, which I wrote in Discord uh, right before having it revealed. Shalon and Cabsol are poisoned. Yasna needs a garnet to purify their blood. Also, a working soulcaster might help. And yeah, Shalon, uh, remember that she had accidentally soul cast blood. And so she devised this plan to make it look like she cut herself by accident. But uh, when she gets to the hospital and comes to, she realizes that everybody thought she was uh, attempting to cut herself and commit suicide. But, uh, you know, we know that she wasn't. She was just trying to hide. She was just trying to cover up all of the blood that she made. Um, she has not much to do well because they won't release her. So she's drawing all these pictures with uh, all of the booze that aren't there when you look at them, but when you look away and draw pictures of them, they are there. And she's starting to uh, not be as scared of them and just kind of like, yeah, whatever, they're there. Uh, King Tarvangian shows up and uh, he apparently visits the hospital frequently. So seems like a cool guy. And Yasna visits and she, uh, you know, she talks to the king in the hallway and realizes that Yasna is going to be going back home. So, uh, so Yasna or Shalon's going to be going back home. So Yasna gives her this book called the Book of Endless Pages, and she tells uh, when uh, Shalon when she gets back to Yakoved to look seek out this um, ardent squad that's like Blake's looking for answers and stuff. A devotery? Yeah, the devotery. Is it devotery or devotery? In the audiobooks, I believe it's pronounced devotery. Tori? Interesting. I'm going to have to look that up. Uh, yes, I, I confirm Mike's statement. Dave, all you have to do is look it up with Tori. Uh, is it a real word? Not that not. I'm aware of, but it could be. Like bedlam. <laughs> it's weird that they would have the word bedlam in uh, Way of Kings, though. 
Well, they also have the word strawberry. So, you know. yeah. It's because they have strawberries. And for some reason, the strawberry jam doesn't taste quite right. Um, Capsaw shows up with his bread and yam. And uh, Shalon's like, oh, let me taste that yam. And she's like, ew, this tastes weird. And I'm thinking, I bet it tastes like antidote. Because after they get poisoned, uh, well, after Capsaw eats the bread, he's like, open up the yam. Open up the yam. We need to try the yam right now. The yam so, is yum. So the yam is, I figured here out, like, oh, they're poisoned. I guess the bread was poisoned and the yam was antidote. So someone must be trying to kill Yasna, and they know that she doesn't like yam. And as uh, Yasna realizes that they've been poisoned, she's like, oh, I need a, I need a garnet to use in my soul caster so that I can purify your blood. And Shalon, right before she passes out, she's like, Oh, here's a garnet. Oh, by the way, here's your soul caster. And that's the end of chapter 48. <laughs> She's so delusional. She's like, here, have the, your soul caster. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. Except not so good. Our hero is in peril. Our hero is in the trenches scavenging corpses for weapons and boots. In chapter right. Well, why don't we move on? I do have a question for you later, but I'll, I'll wait till after chapter 50. Okie doke. Chapter 49. To care. This chapter is all right. Chasm training day one. Or rather, chasm training day one. Let's see if Bridge 4 can stand the first week of training. Teft inadvertently reveals that he was a soldier. Numuhuku Makiaki Ayalunamore, Lopin, Shen, and the other dude go looking for loot with Silfrena. Bridge 4 shows promise. Thanks, Sadius. So when we left off Kaladin and Bridge 4, he said that they were going to try to escape and he was going to train his men to fight with the spear. So here we are at the chasm. They're on permanent chasm duty, remember? And all he teaches them to do today, well, at least for the first couple hours, is just how to stand. He teaches them how to hold your stance. You know, if you get knocked out of it, how to get back into your stance and promises them that if they learn this, then it's going to pay off in the long run. Uh, but he notices that it's training uh, bridgemen is different from training fresh recruits because fresh recruits want to get out on the battlefield. They're eager to fight for glory and all that. Bridgemen are more focused on being taught because, you know, they're not, you know, they've already been broken. Basically, like, the first step of boot camp is to break the new, break into new recruits, right? Well, these guys have already been broken in, so they're ready to learn. And uh, since Numuhuku Makiaki Ayalunamore is a pacifist because he's not the fourth child, he is sent off with uh, Lopin, the one-armed guy, and Shen, the Harshman Bridgeman, and the other guy who is uh, kind of shell-shocked, and they go looking for loot with Silfrena to help them. They should be able to do the job of a full bridge crew while Bridge 4 continues practicing their stances. And Kaladin notes that uh, all of the hardships that Sadius put them through kind of put them in a situation where they uh, would make pretty good soldiers, actually. And kind of Sadius is, in a way, abetting the escape of the Bridgemen just by having given them such a hard life. And that's the end of Chapter 49. Okay. Seems like stuff is happening there. Maybe. Some some progress. They're They're making good... With a bad situation, as always. The true bridge four-way. Yeah, and you guys said that the the dude was the Lopin, but that's not how the book refers to him. So it must be some kind of like inside Cosmere Look joke. Look at when he's get. first referenced. He actually says, some people call me the Lopin because he's the only one with that name. And we respect that. I refuse. We respect well, his wishes. You're going to gonna get a lot Lopin. of angry fans then. It's, he says some people call him the Lopin. Right, and we're some of those people. But if all people call him that, then you're making a liar out of him. So I'm doing him a favor. You may call him Lopin. Just be aware his full title is the Lopin. His title, okay. His title is the. <laughs> his first name is the. All right. Uh, cool. Chapter 50. Chapter 50. All right. I'm going to get some notes. Shalon admits that dad is dead and she was trying to get an edge. Shalon does not admit that her family had owned a soulcaster. Yasna be like, kids gonna be kids. 
I knew it. And that's the last we'll hear of Shalon. It's true. So so, tell us more and, about the chapter. Oh, you know, Shalon, you know, wakes up after being healed from her poison. And Yasna is a little, a little uh, irritated by the fact that, you know, Shalon went and stole her most precious belonging. Uh, she suspects that the Ardentia had sent Shalon in to take Yasna's Soulcaster, but Yasna, I think, convinces Shalon that she was acting uh, on of her own accord to protect her family. Swap and those names, and you got it right. Shalasnia. Shalon is the little girl. Well, she's she's like sixteen or seventeen. She's not a little. Shalon convinces Yasna. Yasna yeah. does not convince Shalon. Yeah, Shalon was acting of her own accord, and Yasna is like, "Well, I forgot how young and reckless you would be. I I hate when I'm wrong. I knew she's like, uh, I I thought that you wouldn't throw away your opportunities. I hate when I'm wrong. No one's ever gonna hire you as a ward now, and you're gonna be miserable for the next twenty years." And she reveals that. Uh, the bread was indeed poison, and the yam was indeed antidote, and actually had been all along, even since Capsol had uh, started meeting with Shalon. And it turns out that he was, in fact, just playing Shalon all along to try to get to Yasna and assassinate her. And he also seems to be acting outside of the will of the Ardentia, because um, the Ardents that Capsol claims to be really friendly with, only kind of sort of heard his name before. So what you're saying is Capsule's a liar? Well, was a liar. Was. So that that ship has sailed. It's gone. It has sunk. I think her literal ship sailed, too, since she's been in the hospital for a week. That's true. But but the Capsule Exelon is no more. Oh, that ship. I get it. Yep, that ship. Okay. I mean, there was a lot of flirting, and he might have actually been interested in her, but... Yeah, I got you know. the feeling that he really was interested in her. But his his whole deal with, like, oh, I, I'm considering leaving the Ardents to be with you, that, that kind of doesn't hold much because he wasn't really part of the Ardentia. Right. I think he really did care, because if he didn't... He just would have eaten the jam on his own instead of being like, no, Shalon, you really need to eat the jam. <laughs> yeah. And apparently he brought even more potent poison in the bread this time. And that's why Rip Capsaw. Well, and so I have this... a question for you. Yeah. Why was Yasna not poisoned? She never ate the bread. Mm, okay. Well, she touched the bread, though, didn't she? She ate a little bit of bread. Well, she must have had a garnet. Must have. Maybe she spent the last 10 years developing an immunity to Iocane powder. <laughs> That's a Yasna thing to do. <laughs> also, this is the last we'll hear of Shalon because this is the last Shalon chapter of part three. And I'm pretty sure we go back to Dalinar in part four. So bye, Shalon forever. Never see you again. Shalon failed. Way to go. Yep. No failed more credit. Assassin. But the only person he successfully assassinated was himself. He's like, let me go ahead and eat this poison. I don't think he was very smart. Well, yeah. He also ate a bunch of the yam. But not this time. He yes, handed he the answer. He, he tried. Oh, did he? I he thought took he a did big old like, finger thought... swab of it and stuff, shoved it in his mouth. I thought Yasna was... Okay, Yasna did you actually it. read this chapter? I'm I'm now yeah. kind of curious. He handed the jar over to Shalon. Right. I thought that Shalon just hadn't opened it. I, mean, I guess maybe he well, made the poison. Then she opened it and it smelled disgusting. And she gave it back to him and he smelled it. And then he took a big glob of it. And Aiden's like, you know, it tastes better than it smells sort of thing. Mm. Which okay. is not true of strawberries. They smell amazing. They do. But these are, but it smelled like antidote. I've never had antidote that I'm aware of, but I bet it does <laughs> taste better than it smells. I bet it tastes like sugar. You're thinking of placebos, Craig. That's maybe. Maybe the antidote was just a placebo all along, but he didn't believe that it worked, so that's why he poisoned himself to death. Or maybe he made the poison stronger than he realized, and he didn't have enough antidote. All right, well, so what are your thoughts of Capsule now that he turned out to be a jerk? Who says he turned out to be a jerk? He just turned out to be an assassin. I don't think of assassins as good people. I, haven't I guess I guess Vin was 
bit of an assassin. So, oh, what do you think now that you watch Cowboy Bebop? Isn't that like an assassin? No, they're bounty hunters. Oh, my mistake. Totally different. They don't kill people. They get bounties. Well, they frequently kill people, but yeah. Or bounties. So the difference is assassins get paid up front. Uh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> All right. Chapter 51? Chapter 51. Saznan. And I think Saz must mean 11th because Saznan is the slave brand, right? And it's lower than Tentanon, so Saz must be Alethi for 11th. Is that right? It's a good guess. I'd never thought about it. All right, chapter 51. Kaladin is stupid. Vaden <laughs> sounds familiar. It must be named after Videladev. Amaram is just like the rest of them. And I think in the future when Kaladin says, I killed the wrong Light Eyes, I think his intent was, I probably should have killed Amaram. Or more like he should have let him die. Because remember, he was protecting Amaram. When he Amaram a ding dong. Yeah. So uh, this is the aftermath of Kaladin, past Kaladin one year ago, killing the the uh, shard bearer, whose name was Vaden, I think. They the scouts try to figure out who the shard bearer was. Is Vaden the no, name no. of the shard bearer? He is the... Vaden. That it means oh, he's from that's... the country of Yakoved. Ah, oh. it's, it's where Shalon's from. Hmm. We also know that Shalon has a shard blade. What? Wait a second. You know, it's a whole country, right? It's a big place. Yeah, it's, you, uh, it's out in the country where Shalon lives. It's yeah. probably the second most powerful country after Alethkar. Even... Although I think it's the home of the Voran religion as well, if I recall correctly. I'm bringing up my map here. I see Yakaved and I see Alethkar, and there's the Horn Eater peaks in between them. Hey, that must we be know, where Numuhukumakiakiai Lunamore. Yeah, Numuhukumakiakiai Lunamore. And what was that name, Craig? Say say that for Brock? us. Brock. Okay. Well, I also brought out the map this week. So I was looking at Shinovar, and it's all the way on the west side of the continent. And it's in, uh, it looks like there's, it's completely surrounded by mountains. So I wonder if that somehow protects them from the high storm so they can grow strawberries. I wonder. They also have grass. Yeah, we've actually seen Shinovar at this point. Oh, uh, yeah, back when one Baldy McMunk And they have something was, called yeah. soil, quote unquote. And the grass is dumb. Rock. Grass is dumb, yeah. What can what you call it? Drooling, wall-staring grass. Im- imbecile grass. Like. Yes, imbecile grass. So Kaladin is stupid. Is he? Why is he stupid? Um, I would say he is, because I think that he's putting his prejudices in front of, you know, his ability to actually do good. Like, So, so you think he's stupid for passing up on the sword, the sharp blade? Yeah. Okay. I think that he's being making too emotional of a decision. You know, I mean, it's bad for him personally because the sword was used to kill his friends. But right. Is that really warrant his? I don't think so. What happens to him, though? I mean, it shouldn't matter. I don't I don't think that Amaram is in the right. I just think that Kaladin is stupid. Okay, so if he's given the sword, so it's his. He may do with it what he wishes if he wishes it to give it to one of his sergeants, what's the big deal? I'm not saying he shouldn't be able to do that. I'm saying that it's probably not a wise choice. Okay. I don't think that power corrupts a man. I think that power reveals what's inside of a man. But I think that Kaladin views the power as corruptive, and that's why he doesn't want to take it. But So anyway, to recap the chapter, uh, Kaladin is back in Amaram's war chambers, and he comes out from his council meeting and... He's like, Kaladin, are you sure you want to give this these shards to your officers? And Kaladin's like, yeah, I don't want them. So Amaram has all of Kaladin's underlings straight up killed right before his eyes. And then he takes the shard sword and shard plate for himself. But in his excellent mercy, spares Kaladin's life and brands him as a slave and traitor and sends him off. So now I thought you was know. pretty arrogant of Amaram to put it that way, but. I think that's the point. So now you know why we all hate Amaram. Yeah, he was cool up to this point. Was he, though? He sort of just let Roshon take Tien, even though he was a little kid and at the bottom of the list. He's like, fine, I'll just take it. I don't care about your little town politics. I mean, I guess he could have tried to protect him like he said he would, but there's only so much he can do as well. Like, 
I don't blame Amaram for Tien's death. I uh, okay. obviously he's in the wrong and slaughtering all of uh, Kaladin's friends just to cover up. It's not even really a cover up. Well, like this is totally a cover. It up. is a, okay. It is a this cover is up. It wouldn't have been. Up, yeah. It would have been. It would not have been a cover up if Kaladin had given the shards directly to Amaram. Because if Kaladin gives the shards to Amaram, then like nobody would have believed that he gave it up to a light eyes willingly, right? But but Amaram is just like I can I can use these tools for the betterment of more people than these five people, right? So Amaram takes it upon himself to to say like this I can do more good with these tools in my hand than they could in this other person's hand. So I'm going to kill everybody. So yeah, Amaram's a jerk, but I also think that Kaladin didn't have a good enough reason to give it up. So so I have a question. Do you think if Amaram asked Kaladin for the shards, he would have given it up? Uh, I mean, Kaladin still had a pretty high opinion of Amaram, so possibly. Okay. I mean, that goes for any of you, not just Dave. If you guys have an answer, then feel free to answer. I think he definitely would have, yeah. Okay. I also agree. There you have it. Cool. Amaram is an idiot and a jerk and... Can we call him Bananarama from now on? That just seems like it'd be more fun. No, you don't oh, yes, want please. to make it fun. He doesn't deserve dignity. It's true. That's uh, true. See, Amaram assumes that Kaladin will regret his decision and later on change the story, which I don't think would have happened. Right. But yeah, that's what Amaram was afraid of. All right. But yeah, so, I think that Kaladin ought to have kept the shards. I don't really see a very good reason for him not to. So that wraps up part three. And it looks like next week we're going to have some interludes to go over. Yay, interludes. So this how come, uh, how did Kaladin beat a shard bearer anyway? Is he like, did Sylphrena help him? He stabbed him in the eye with a spear. Yeah. That's true. Shard plate has one opening, and that's the eye slit. Oh no, you found my weak spot. Mm, but does Kaladin have some kind of superpowers? He has Kaladin powers. It seems like he does. But now, see, now I'm wondering if he actually had those superpowers to begin with, or if he got them somehow by killing a shard bearer, even though he didn't pick up the shards. It's like, you know, Mega Man. Some games you have to pick up the orb, but some games you just get the powers anyway. All right. You know how LeBron James is really good at basketball? Uh, I've heard so, yeah. Kaladin is that, but for spears. Is LeBron James a shard bearer? Probably. Huh. So I'm done with Dave. I am also done Aren't with Dave. Aren't we always? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Get rid of this guy. <laughs> Bye, guys. I'm kidding, I Dave. We more, love but... you. Bye, Dave. <laughs> Bye. And Dave's gone. Play the thing. This concludes the spoiler-free section of our podcast. If you are, as I am, reading along for the first time, we recommend that you stop listening now, as the following will contain spoilers for not only this book, but for other Cosmere books as well. There may also be general spoilers from any other source material. Spoilers begin now. All right. I have a thing for spoiler time. Uh, but Craig, you said you also no, have No, I have a lot. So All if right. you want to go first. No, my thing's going to run kind of long. So why don't you go first? Okay. So uh, chapter 47, we have Kaladin's perspective of the very first chapter of the book that we were introducing Kaladin in this book. Um, and so this time is from Kaladin's perspective, and we actually get references to a windsprint, which we, of course, ultimately know is Sylphrena. Um, But here, it's just a windsprint. So I'm thinking maybe he's starting to form a bond with her at this point, and perhaps that's why he's able to be so good at fighting a shard bear. I don't know. But it is neat to see references to Syl here. I don't um, think that, A, they had enough of a bond to matter yet, and B... Even if they did, it would have imparted anything to him, yet it's still way too early. You think it's just natural skill and adrenaline? Yep. Kaladin Stormblessed. I think it um, was important for forming that bond, since he was so focused on protecting his men at the time. He, he was protecting his men and even Amaram at the time, which and, is totally in line with the Windrunners. And yeah, I'm I'm on board with, with Tori here. This, this helped form that bond. Like, Syl probably started following him because of actually i don't even know when she started but she must have noticed him like going out of his way to protect 
you know, the younger soldiers who were like Tien, or possibly even going out of his way to try to protect Tien even earlier, depending on when she showed up. Given given the flashbacks, I believe it's around this point that Syl starts popping up and forming that bond. Not really in the Tien chapters, like that we will get a, a, Chien, a Tien flashback, his death. Uh, at the end of the book, and I don't think there's any references to a windspring then, so I specifically think it's roughly around here. But okay. I was going to point out that his wallet was stuck to him, which is a very adhesive thing, which happens to be one of the surges that windrunners get. But it's also a windspring thing, like just a normal thing that windspring do sometimes. They're mischievous. Look, I'm just saying I feel like there's little bits and hints here, and maybe the bond was forming earlier than we figured. But but because of what happens to him, uh, what Amaram does, it sort of is a step back because he, you know, seeps into depression and everything, which sort of puts that bond forming at a halt. So here's a question I just thought of that probably you guys know the answer to, and I'm going to sound like someone who doesn't actually read these books, but um, still is an honor sprint. Yes. Like, yep, correct. Con- confirmed. Um, are all Windrunners bonding with Honor Sprin, or are they actually bonding with Wind Sprin? They're they bonding bond with, with Honor, Honor Sprin. Sprin. Okay. Um, there are also Wind Sprin. They're separate things. They just look nigh identical in the uh, physical realm. Well, that's why I was asking. Like, is it confirmed that all Windrunners are bonding with Honor Sprin? Yes. I think so. Okay. So, just just to help back me up... Um, Look at how the description of Kaladin's unit is in this chapter and also uh, in the original chapter. He He's doing a lot of the same things he ultimately ends up doing with Bridge 4. And there's always this weird, how are they surviving, but other units are having more trouble sort of thing. That's why I feel like maybe the bond was progressing. He was protecting people and serving the Windrunner ideal, but he hasn't spoken the word yet, clearly. Um that's why I'm like, may- maybe there's a little bit more there than just a mischiev- mischievous wind spread. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty I'm certain that it's still at this point, and yeah. I'm pretty sure she was drawn there because Kaladin was going out of his way to protect, you know, these younger soldiers, his squad, all of that. Yeah. Um, and the reason that his squad had such had such a good, you know, life expectancy compared to other squads is one. Kaladin is a super-duper selfish sergeant. Like, he takes them to the safest spot he can, he can find on the battlefield, you know, out of the, uh, out of the barrage of arrows. Um, number two, he's super-duper good at the violence part. Like, him by himself can drive off an enemy squad, as we see in this chapter. And then number three, bribes. Lots and lots of bribes. He bribes the surgeons to see to his men first. And yeah, just the combination of those three things without anything supernatural happening is keeping his squad alive where other people die. Uh, I I will give you that because it's nice to see it's an actual character trait rather than just hand waving it off as magic. But I still think there's hints of the bond that's starting to form. I mean, later on, we're going to see Kaladin playing around with adhesion first. Like, that's the first thing he plays with. Is that certain? Technically, no. Yes, we've he, already he, seen him using um, using some minimal powers, and he doesn't use adhesion first. He uses the the third one, the gravitation. What do you What are you referring to? Drawing arrows and crossbow bolts to the bridge during bridge runs. Oh, yes. Well, but that's something that he's doing subconsciously. I think the first thing that he consciously experiments with is the adhesion. Well, that's right. true. But but I, I think it's Mike is more appropriate in pointing out the unconscious one, because that's what he would I would think he's doing in this flashback chapter. I, I'm just maybe there's a little something there. No, I, I I think that the, the bag sticking to him is literally just Syl, who has lost the majority of her intellect and is acting like a windspring, just being a windspring while also being drawn to this dude who is all about protecting people. Are you saying this is the first time she pops up for Kaladin? This is the first time we... I think she might have been there for a while, but this is the first time we see her that I'm aware of. Hmm. Well, e- even if, if it was just a windsprint thing, again, like, maybe there's a bit of a bond. That's all I'm saying. Like, maybe maybe 
she's been bonding with him since she popped up. And there are other reasons aside from what you listed that makes them so good at surviving. Um, chapter, well, the whole thing with, with Shalon and the jam, and I hope my, my question wasn't too forward, but I mean, it's right there in the pages. Like he eats a, well, Yasna eats a little bit of the bread. She doesn't get poisoned. Except and we know she Capsol, doesn't eat the bread. She eats and, hardly edible goop. And yeah, Capsol takes a bunch of the goop that has no longer an antidote because it smells and tastes weird. And Dave's like, hey, it's an antidote. But if he's been trying to poison Yasna for the every single time he brings bread and jam and the jam has smelled fine, that should be a clue. Something changed. Yeah, but Dave, Dave was not paying an, anywhere near enough attention in that chapter. It was enough that when he first read the chapter, he realized the bread is the poison and the jam is the antidote. And he gets confirmation in two more chapters. But yeah, he uh, he didn't notice all the fine points. Like, I think he just sort of glossed over it. That he chapter. didn't notice the capsule ate the jam. Yeah, I know. I know. Or that Yasna ate the bread. Um. So the the what the big thing I wanted to talk about is I mentioned in the spoiler discussion in our Discord. Um, uh, where is it? Oh, spoiler so, discussion. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I know. I just had to read what I said. So uh, the whole thing with Amaram killing off his unit, and he doesn't take the shard. So this this is sort of to go along with my previous point about his bonding with Sil. He has reasons for not wanting to take the shard, but. I think if he is starting to form any sort of bond with Silfrena, he's going to have this weird disgust for shards. And we've seen this in the future books and, and future chapters. Whenever someone starts forming that, that radiant bond, you start becoming disgust with interacting with the shards in some way. Specifically shard blades, um, with shard plate to a lesser degree. Like we see it with Renarin, we see it with Kaladin later on, and he hates light eyes and Dave brings up the point like, yeah, you know, shouldn't he should just take it. But he has many reasons for not wanting to take the sharp blade. And I think part of it is that he does have a little bit of this unconscious disgust for sharp blades. Well, it would have to be unconscious because he hasn't actually touched a blade yet and heard the screaming yet. No, but there's still a little bit of revulsion from from looking at them. And we, we have seen this, you know. It could also just be good old-fashioned trauma. Okay, sure. I'm just saying, look, look. The original draft, and this this is what Fel Knight mentions in our Discord. The original draft, apparently Kaladin accepted the Shardblade, and Amaram still did the same thing to ultimately get the Shardblade back. It doesn't work for a couple reasons. One, it's hard to force a person to give up their Shard. You either kill them... Or they give it up willingly. We haven't really been able to see a way to steal shard blades. It's just the way the shard blades work. But two, again, I think it's because Silphrena exists at this point, and we know she exists at this point. And I, th- I think it's a neat little touch that he would not want a shard blade for other reasons. Of course, Dave isn't going to figure out why until halfway through Words of Radiance. So, what do you got for us, Mike? I have the history of man on Roshar. Uh, which I meant to do last week, but we did run pretty long, and I didn't have my book downstairs with me, but I have it today. Uh, So this is a little art splash page that actually showed up at the beginning of last week's chapters, Um, and it basically gives you bullet points on humans on Roshar uh, that I just wanted to sort of expand on. So those bullet points. The expulsion, the loss of the Tranquiline Halls, the desolation, or the Desolations, there are multiple. War against the Voidbringers. Aharietium, the last desolation, defeat of the Voidbringers. The Recreants, the fall of the Knights Radiant. And the Hierocracy, the failure of Voronism. So, the expulsion, the loss of the Tranquiline Halls. Uh, humans in the Rosharan system originally come from the planet Ashen, uh, where they had a magic system similar to uh, the Surges. Uh, but not quite the same, and things just sort of got out of hand, and they mostly destroyed the planet. Uh, it's still habitable to a much lesser degree. There are still humans on Ashen. Uh, Brandon has a short story or novella that he plans to do uh, set on that world called The Silence Divine, where 
like the magic system that he has planned there is that like diseases give you powers. Um, there's the, the, the one that would be the focus of this, uh, would be a disease that makes you deaf. Um, but also lets you, uh, control the weight of things. So they live in a floating city and everybody's deaf so that they can live in this floating city. So that's sort of interesting uh, that they have a different magic system compared to the Surges, because we do know that because this is part of the Rosharian system, honor and cultivation should have an effect on them. And the question is, is this more because of Odium's influence, or is this because this is what it was like before Odium joined the system? Uh, we don't have anywhere near enough information to to guess at that, I think. Yeah. I think I think the singers, which were would be the native um sentient species on Roshar, definitely had something sort of like the surges. That seems to be their history, but yeah, there's a lot we don't know. Um, Continue. So, so yeah, they the the humans on Ashen wrecked the place, uh, and they sought a new place to live, and they found Roshar, uh, where the singers allowed them to move into Shinovar, so they brought, you know, what plant life they could, what livestock they could, and that is the source of all life on Roshar that isn't crabs. <laughs> that isn't a crustacean. Because everything else is crabs. Yeah. Um, so that is the, the original source of, of humans on Roshar, uh... The Tranquiline Halls are Ashen. Ashen is the Tranquiline Halls. Oh, hold on a second. What, what, you said the first one was Expulsion, right? The Expulsion, and, yes. And then the loss of Tranquiline Halls. Well, the loss of the Tranquiline Halls is like a sub-bullet point under Expulsion. Okay. Uh, I, I, I can't see this because it's in my e-reader and the text is really tiny, so I don't really know. Gotcha. What yeah, there are five points and each point has like a sub-point. Got it. Um, so then... Uh, what information we have on this period comes primarily from the girl who stood up story that uh, Hoyd tells Shallan in Oathbringer. Uh, the girl who looks up? I thought it was stood up. I don't remember. It's an important story, though. Yeah. We'll, we'll I remember get to the it. story. I don't remember what it was called. Fair enough. Um, yeah. We'll, we'll get to it when we get there. Um, but basically, humans lived in Shinovar and everything was fine until. They got greedy and decided, you know what? We should go places that aren't in inside these mountains. And then they did, and things went bad. Which begins the desolations. Uh, so there was basically the, there started a big war between humans and singers. Um, I want to say Odium switched sides at this point to to go join it... the singers and abandon the humans. Right. Um. Real quick, this is to go along with this. Uh, I'm reading the Coppermine Wiki on the expulsion and the loss of the Tranquiline Halls. And it, it mentions, and we're going to get the Ella Steele in uh, Oathbringer about this as well, that humanity were welcomed in Roshar by their gods, so by honor and cultivation, even though they had access to dangerous powers of Sprint and Surges. So this is actually in the Steel, or however you pronounce that word. Um but then at some point, humanity, just like you're mentioning here, betrays them. And this their god was Odium. The, the humanity's god at this point was Odium, and it forced them out of the Shinovar region to claim more land and whatever else. The first desolation, which I think is what we're talking about here. Right. Uh, so somewhere along this line, the um, Honor made the Oath Pact uh, with the Heralds. Gave them honor blades, gave them powers. Not super clear on all of that, but I assume we're going to get a lot more information there. So wait, you think it's now that the Oath Pack is formed and it wasn't before to sort of... Because at some point, Odium goes to Rosharian system and he's trapped there. So the moment Odium arrives in Roshar, I believe, is when the Oath Pack is formed. But Somewhere in there. I, I, it's all very fuzzy. That could have happened while humans were on Ashen. There's no reason it doesn't have to be. And humans at the time, while they were living on Ashen, maybe followed Odium. But that doesn't mesh with the rest of the Oath Pact and, and the way the desolations work. Well, it could have taken time for Odium to find the loophole. 
the exploit for the Oath Pact. Anywho, uh, the Oath Pact is formed at some point, and the Heralds are given honor blades, they get superpowers, and they're trapped in a cycle of death and torture and reincarnation. Uh, and at some point after that, uh, the Spren pay attention to the Heralds and start bonding with humans, a thing that, since they don't have a, uh, a gem heart, was thought to be impossible. And those friends that do bond with humans uh, then give their, give their humans powers similar to, actually identical to, uh, what the Honor Blades give to the Heralds. Right. And I do want to point out that we actually get Honor's thoughts on this in a, one of the flashbacks, or one of the visions that Dalinar gets in the very beginning of Words of Radiant. Honor talks about he was surprised this could even happen. Yep. Um, and I think the biggest difference between uh, humans having these surges on Ashen and humans having these surges on Roshar is that the Spren act as sort of a check on behavior um, because there are, there are bonds involved. Right. Like, if, if you break... It, like, if you, if you form this bond, if you, if you say the words and then you break it, you lose your powers. So if you're not acting in accordance with your your what your spren wants, then you can't use your powers to blow up the whole freaking world. And we sort of see a little bit of this with Kaladin because he starts acting against his oaths in Words of Radiance and he starts losing his powers. Yep. It's a very Spider-Man 2-y storyline. Yeah. Uh, so next up on my on my bullet points here is Aharietium. The Last Desolation, Defeat of the Voidbringers, which we see in the prelude. Yep. We don't get which the was whole... 4,500 years ago. Yep. We don't get the whole story at that point, but we, we see that event uh, in the prelude. We see what happens. We've got a pretty good handle on it, I think. We, we know that at that point, from, just again from later reading, that it was a very short time period between the previous Desolation and the one that we see in the beginning of, of Way of Kings. Like, the... They're not able to... They just keep breaking too quickly now. They can't handle the torture. So yep. it's, it's, it, it's clear to them that it's getting worse. They are so lucky that Talm was the, the first one to die, and he's able to hold it. Indeed. So yeah, he's a boss. Uh, 4,500 years of torture, guys. Roshar Rosharian years. Yep. Okay, so next up is the Recreants, which is the Fall of the Night's Radiant. We know some of this. I don't believe that we know all of this. Uh, basically, the humans, or the Knights Radiant and their Spren all learn that the humans are not native to Roshar, that they, in fact, were the, were the original Voidbringers, they're invaders, and they're the bad guys. And this, somehow, again, I, I'm, I'm sure that we're missing some very crucial info. More. Yeah. Uh, but but this somehow caused nine out of the ten uh, orders of the Knights Radiant to break their bonds, break their oaths, kill their spren, and give up their shards. Uh, the the one order that didn't, the one order that decided to stick around, was the Skybreakers, which we learn about in Oathbringer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and we we also see this event through one of Dalinar's visions. Uh, right. But we get like zero context for it at that point so and also the one that stuck around did it for the express purpose of making sure the others didn't come back right so so to put yeah. things in perspective here we had the uh the last desolation was 4500 years ago according to the time frame of the book and this recreance was like about 2000 years ago or so. Like we don't know the exact time, but it's roughly 2000 years ago or so. Something so, in that neighborhood. Yeah. So, so think about now draw a parallel to our world. 4,500 years ago, we're talking like old ancient Egypt and some of the old classical, uh, well, pre-classical civilization. So th this is, pre-Greeks and... This, this is getting to the beginning of, of history, of, of written accounts right, of, exactly. of humanity on our world. And the recreance was roughly, you know, around 2,000 years ago for us, which was still getting to the height of the Roman Empire. Actually, before the height, but we're roughly around Julius Caesar 
sort of thing. And and I, I don't know well, about other cultures, but I, I know Europeans. So that's why I know the Roman. I mean, about 2000 years ago from from our American Judeo-Christian heritage would be Jesus. That's that's sort of the big touchstone there historically, which I think is probably intentional because this is sort of the part of the the Voronism religion was how bad the Recreants, like how the Knights Radiant abandoned humanity. Right. Uh, so next up is, and this one I think happened about 500 years ago. I think we get some pretty solid dates on that, which is the hierocracy, uh, when the Vorin church attempted to take over the world and then were subsequently put down and, and all the ardents are now slaves and property. And the church has still a lot of power, but way less than it used to. The, specifically, the ardents tried to conquer the world because they saw visions from the almighty. Well, that's that's our um, no theory. That's, that's that's specifically in the Coppermine wiki. Oh, okay then. Which links to Way of Kings chapter eighteen. Guys, I know I'm a little late to share, but a quick internet search says that woolly mammoths died out four thousand years ago. So, just gives wow. you an idea of how long ago that was. That is weird. <laughs> so, all right, um, and then yeah, that. The hierocracy then gave way to modern Voronism, which has been, I guess, developing for about 500 years. Right. I'm guessing there was a time of chaos for, for a while between the hierocracy and modern Voronism developing, but yeah. Which would put it roughly around the same time frame as our Protestant Reformation for uh, Judeo-Christianity. Well, Christianity. All right. So, so yeah, on, on Roshar... Um, you know, the church tried to take over the world on Earth. Martin Luther nailed some papers to a church door. About the same thing, functionally. <laughs> the, I mean, at the you had, I mean, there were reasons the church was very powerful at that time, and he sort of like, no, 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 this is not right. So I don't know. Dave could definitely talk to you a lot more. I don't. I'll leave that to Dave if you want to hear more about that. Well, I don't want to let him in on all this stuff yet. He no, need, he no, needs to true. get it organically. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's my thing was going over the uh, the history of man uh, art splash page and and what it actually means with context. Um, there was one thing I wanted to mention here very quick. I'm doing my reread of Words of Radiance now. If you guys couldn't tell, I just started. I'm only like four chapters in. But during my reread of Way of Kings, I realized how much more I know now. Now that I've read up to Oathbringer, I've reread Way of Kings multiple times, Words of Radiance. This will be my like third, maybe fourth time through. And just reading through Way of Kings, like I'm noticing a lot more. Like I understand a lot more than when I very when I first read the book. Like I can point out, like here's how the bond is forming. This is why such and such a thing happens. Um, it's it's interesting how much that I sort of absorb because I don't actively think about it, how much I've just absorbed by reading these books. So now coming back to it from Oathbringer, I'm like, oh, yeah, this stuff makes sense. It's it, this is the reason it's happening this way. Oh, hey, real quick. Um, I recently edited and posted the first Way of Kings episode yep. where uh, we discussed the heralds and where they all were. Uh, all right. You had looked it up. And said that there were apparently, according to the Coppermind, two heralds in Carbranth. Uh, okay. Rereading Way of Kings, do you have any idea who those are? Uh, no. Yeah, I, I don't do know. Either. We, I do know we get more hints in uh, Words of Radiance who the who the heralds are that that are there because in Yasna's uh, chapter, the beginning chapter, she sees a couple of the heralds there. I forget which ones. I'll when we actually go over it. Uh, I'll point that out. Are you talking so, about the prologue during the during the party? Yeah, the prologue. Yes, no, we already prologue. we already identified them. That's that's Nail and Kalak. Kalak, that guy. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. We get that, actual explicit callouts. That's not who now. I'm talking about, though. I, I understand. I'm just saying we can deduce it as we continue with the reads and figure out who they are. I don't know. I didn't look into it. I don't know who's who's you can look it up. I don't know. Carbranth, different place than Alethkar. I understand. Yes, I know. I'm saying if we figure out which heralds are it there, we can deduce which ones are not. We already we already know who's at the party. 
Okay, then which ones aren't there? The other seven that aren't Yezrian, Nail, and Kellek. Uh, so Fel Knight says Six, he technically, because we know where Talon is. Sorry, Tori, go ahead. Fel Knight says he thinks it's Shalash and the one she travels with. Okay. That, that's all I got. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, d- I don't... Okay. I'm trying so to Shalash think of any time in Carbranth we saw someone that could be Shalash, and I got nothing. Is she the one that hates her depiction? Yeah. Yeah. She is the mistress from, I think, the interlude we're about to read. Yes. Right, yes. Yes, yeah. Uh, I just started that interlude. Uh, I got, like, two minutes into it, and then I was like, oh, yeah, I'm past the chapters I needed for the podcast. I'm going to stop it there. But, yes, that is the next interlude that we're going to read. So it does say in the Coppermine Wiki for Shalash, sometime prior to the assassination of King Gavilar, she infiltrated the royal palace in Kolinar and got rid of her own statue and I, th- I think there's a reference to her statue being missing except could she have except we discussed this back in that episode which i listened to while editing and that's a statue that yasna soul casted uh steel heart signing word of brandon on origins of dalnar from story road as teen that doesn't apply what this footnote sucks okay i have issues with this the footnote doesn't line up, so I don't know. Because, yeah, I, I originally also thought that that was evidence of Shalash having been there, but I think it was Tori who actually corrected me, saying that it was from like from the Words of Radiance um, prologue that we see Yasna soul-casting a statue, and it's that one. Uh, so Fel Knight again points out uh, there is a scene where Shalon sees someone walking through the Palinaeum and says, it looked like it could have been one of the heralds, to which Fel Knight says, I think it means it's one of the heralds. One of the figures approaches her drawing a sword and Yasna manifests a statue of Talonel to protect herself. Well, now I'm extra confused. Yeah, I don't think she messes with a difference. She manifests a statue of Talonel. So right. yeah, we'll, who knows? when we get there, we'll we'll pay attention. We we need a where were the heralds at the time of Gavilar's assassination? As what we we need a, like a little footnote just so we know because I can't keep track of them. Okay, realistic. We we have realistically we have locations for five. So we have the three that were at the party. We have okay. Town who is still on Braze. Yeah, and then we have what's his face who's off being a god king in whatever right, Makabaki right. kingdom it is. Yeah. So that leaves the other five, which we're now a little more up in the air about whether um, whether Shalash was there or not. I think we're just going to have to see the beginning of Rhythm of War, because I, I guarantee we're going to get more hints about who's there, especially now that we have a better idea of who they are. All right. And Fel Knight has posted a quote from Chapter 33, that included the phrase, it looked as if one of the heralds themselves were walking through the stacks. Oh, because so, it was all right. a female ardent, and it just the lantern light made it look like a shadow. That's that's all. I, I, I didn't take that as that's actual one of the heralds being there. I just took that as a, although she sees that, stuff. That said, that's the best we've got, I think. Well, in, in modern times, that of a herald potentially being in Carbranth. I thought we were talking about Gavilar's assassination. No, we were talking about the two heralds that are in Carbranth. That was what I was asking about. You started okay, talking so about Gavilar's I, assassination. Yeah, I thought you were asking who was in Carbranth at the time of Gavilar's assassination. Because we don't normally talk about heralds outside of town when he pops up at the end of the book. So we think there might be some heralds in Carbranth at this time. I'm a bit confused by the parchment servant thing because there's supposed to be two and no singers were heralds. So that one throws me off unless that parchment is just a parchment. Yeah, I don't I don't. Well, because they are servants in the Palinaeum. Right. But she's accompanied by a parchment servant, not another human. Right. But that's what they do. The parchment show them show people around. Yes, Craig. I'm aware of what Parchman do and what they are. There are supposed to be two heralds in Carbranth that are together. Okay, this, why? Okay. This one quote is the only thing we have of why a herald in Carbranth. Think, why do we? Is this the only reason you think there might be heralds in Carbranth? This this quote. No, you saying that 
in our first Way of Kings episode, which you looked it up from the Coppermind, is what makes me think that. Well, I have to find out what entry I looked at. I don't know. This information that you're arguing against came from you. That doesn't mean I remember it. I looked it up in Coppermine Wiki. I don't know. I My- I I won I went down a rabbit hole and someone somewhere must have said, Hey, there were a couple her- probably a word of Brandon says there's a couple of heralds in Carbranth in Way of Kings. It's and probably then, a word of Brandon. And then we never found that reference again. It's true. I'm I'm predicting it. Like we're gonna look for it and we're never gonna find it. There's so much out there. I don't know. Also, I just wanted to say Mike really could be Ricky Gervais in this scenario. Just spot right. on there. That that seems like a good place to end for the week. Yep. yep I yep. will say if I find it, I'll post it on our Discord. If I find this word of brand. Oh, actually, Fel Knight just found it. Um, he's Pal- so helpful. Well, he, he's good at this. Palaya was the elderly ardent in Carbranth that Shalon saw, right? If you say I said that, then I did. Does that mean it's still true? Let's just say there's a herald in close proximity to Taravangian. There's a herald in close proximity to Taravangian. So that's that's all we know. Okay. There's a herald. Well, that's more than we had before. So, all right. Let's go ahead and end it here. Okay. Bye, everybody. Bye. Good night, Internet. This has been the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at at CosmereCast or like us on Facebook. Our theme music is Traveling Made Up Continents by Gillicuddy, used with permission. Hear more from him at the Free Music Archive. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.